All right. Uh, so, John, I'm excited to be joining you in this mm. series and excited for today. Can you take us a moment, take a moment and just tell us about what this series is and why we're doing it? Yeah. So, uh, Clayton, at any one time, there's hundreds of new people at City Church who want to search for God. And one of the things that often surprises people is how complicated religion can be. And at the same time, uh, there are always some people who have gotten kind of skeptical about religion. Their experience with it hasn't been good. And so they're thinking about walking away from him. And so this series is an attempt to go to the core of the Christian religion and simplify what it really is all about. And I think uh, Paul spoke to this in Galatians chapter five, verse six, when he said, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. And so Paul clarified the core of the Christian religion as faith and love. And he said, it's the only thing that matters. So you don't have to understand all the intricacies. You just have to know this and what it means for us. And when that happens to us, it benefits us and it benefits those around us. And that's what religion's supposed to do anyway. So we're trying to clarify the core. Awesome. Well, uh, we're really excited today to get into some of the questions that have been asked. Um, so hopefully, uh, you know, your question may not get asked that you actually text in, um, but maybe one of these will actually answer the question that you have anyway. And so the first one uh, came in is, can Christianity and evolution coexist? Well, I always love questions that you can answer yes and no. <laughs> and so, yes, it can. If you think of evolution as a process of adaptation, then it would make perfect sense to me, given what we looked at last week about the nature of God as discovered by scientists um, and philosophers as a result of the Big Bang philosophy, that a God who is incredibly powerful, unbelievably wise and intelligent, that he would be able to um, give us, his creatures, the capacity to adapt to varying situations, then I would say absolutely. For example, and this may not be funny to any of y'all, but um, I'm German in background, and, uh, and so that means somewhere my ancestors came from a pretty cold part of the world, right? And so my, hair, my legs are pretty hairy, and uh, you know, that's why I don't wear shorts or anything like that. But anyway, just, you get that. But we worked in Africa for years, and the people that we worked with right there on the equator, I mean, almost all of them, their skin just completely smooth. I remember one time I was talking to some guys who had just barely ever seen a white dude anyway, and they were just looking at my arm, rubbing it all up and down because they didn't know what all that hair was on my arm. Well, that's adaptation. That is a theory of evolution that God would allow us to live differently in different parts of the world perfectly. But as a truth claim, uh, that explains how everything came into existence, um, I don't think it's possible for it to coexist. And the reason is, as we saw last week, the Big Bang and what scientists have discovered really demands that there is a creator who has uh, designed the universe. And so evolution as a theory of truth is based upon random chance it's hard for random chance and design to coexist because they're not the same thing. And so I would make a distinction at that point. 
Yeah, and you know, one of the things I loved about last week is that so many times we think that religion and science have to be at odds, but in fact, you showed us that most of the time, if not all the time, science is actually very affirming of religion. It absolutely is, yeah. Well, let's move on to the next question. Uh, this is a great one. It says, uh, it seems that religion places a lot of rules when it comes to living life and having fun. So how does God intend for us to live life but also remain obedient to his word? Yeah. Well, uh, I grew up in a, a great Christian family, but we had some rules. And so I know exactly um, what that's like. And those rules kept me out of trouble. And so I'm grateful for them, and I'm grateful for my parents uh, who believed in trying to raise us well. Um, one of the things that I think we, is important for us to recognize is that God made us and he, he made you to be happy, okay? So Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount uh, talked in the Beatitudes. He said, blessed is the person who. And that word blessed is a Greek word, it's makarios, and it can be translated as well, happy is the person who. Now Jesus' list of happiness and our list of happiness were pretty different, okay? So you ought to go read Matthew chapter five if you wanna see what he said will make you happy, because it's probably not what you're thinking, but it's important to know that God wants you to be happy. People who are happy usually have three qualities. They're at peace, with themselves, they're at peace with others, and they're usually at peace with God. One of the unique things about what Jesus came and did is he stripped away all the rules and we're left with two. In Galatians chapter five, the apostle Paul referred to uh, believers who were at odds with one another and he said, there's only two rules you need. The law of love, which is what we're talking about in this series, and then uh, we also, he gave us just the other guideline of walking in the spirit. And so the spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is God. If you are a believer, then the spirit of God lives in you, and his, by design, part of his work is to guide you to live in a way that is honoring to God and good for you. And when you do that, trust me, you're going to be happy. So if you practice the law of love and you're guided by the spirit of God in your life, those are the only two rules you need. Just two. Yeah, Definitely makes it simpler. Mm. Uh, we have time for one more question, and this is one that I'm sure many people uh, have wrestled with. It says, why and how do we have so many religions that all believe in God? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I want to give three reasons that I think we have so many, and then uh, I want to look at the third reason from the perspective of Christianity. Uh, first of all, there's this thing called general revelation, and it's what we looked at uh, last week so much we looked at science, Big Bang Theory, where all of that comes from, and, um, uh, and so this is called general revelation. In other words, if you're alive and you're observing anything at all in the world, and you look at an unbelievable sunset or sunrise or the birth of your child or whatever, and you imagine how awesome everything is, you look up into the night sky outside the lights of San Antonio and you can see the Milky Way, and you look at all that, you have to ask the question, how did this get here? And so most people, unbiased, will say, something must have put that here, it's phenomenal. And so general revelation as a whole leads people to believe there probably is a God, 
And so most people believe in that. That's, so that's important to know. Secondly, the scriptures tell us that we have been created in the image of God. And that means that there is something in us that naturally reaches out to God because we're created in his image to have a relationship with him. And so most people are biased toward belief. There must be a God. I feel the need for him. I'm thinking about him. Where did all these thoughts come from? And so that leads most people to believe in God. Thirdly, that means that thinking people will typically say, we gotta get in connection with this God. We have to reach him somehow. But this is where religions really are different. And what is, um, what's unique about the Christian faith is we not only believe in general revelation, we believe in special revelation. God has to reveal certain things about himself to us. Only God can tell you and me how to get connected to him. If we attempt to set out, okay, here's the five steps I'm going to take to get connected to God, and God didn't reveal that to us, it won't do us any good. So what God is like and how we get in connection with him, Clayton, comes from the revelatory claims that are made in the various texts of the different religions. And that means that we have to test the legitimacy of the revelatory claims of each religion. And what is unique about the Christian faith is it says, you can't get to God, God had to come to you. And that's what he did in Jesus of Nazareth. You can't be good enough for God, so a perfect God, Jesus, without sin, died to make a way for you to get connected to him because you can never do that on your own. And so it was God who requires our sin be paid for. It's only God who can pay for our sin. And so it's not us pursuing God as in other religions. In Christianity, it's God pursuing us. And that's called grace and it's really good news. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we hope that this, yeah. Uh, we hope that this was helpful, and I want to thank you guys for participating in this today. Uh, and before we go, Witty, why don't you take a second and tell us what you're going to be talking about this week? So last week, uh, we said that faith allows you and me to freely enjoy a relationship and all the benefits that come with that with the creator of the universe. And since this creator is all powerful, incredibly wise, the options for a really good life are pretty phenomenal when we're in relationship to him. Well, if you and I are in relationship with that kind of a God, then what does that mean about our relationships with other people? Well, that is what love is all about. But love isn't always as easy as you might think. What does love have to do with religion? You know, I've been a Christ follower for over 50 years now, and I've been a missionary and a pastor for over 30. But if I'm honest, while I haven't struggled with the faith part of our religion, I've been short 
on love. You might say, oh, come on, witty. You're being too hard on yourself. No, I don't think I am. It's true. You know, I know that Linda wouldn't embarrass me by saying it, but I'm pretty sure there were many times early on in our marriage, based on my actions, where she must have wondered, does he really love me? And I know my kids might not accuse me, but there had to be times whenever they wondered if I loved my hobby more than them. And I know for a fact that my colleagues on the mission field knew that I really didn't care that much about them because when the company that we worked for surveyed them and asked them if I cared, they resoundingly said, not so much. Until I was 40 years old, expressing my faith in love wasn't even on my radar screen. Up until that point, every motive for my life was pretty much just about me. My wants, my desires, my fears, my plans ruled my life and those who lived with me. Now, if you find that kind of odd, so do I. Because I would have thought that someone whose job it is to tell others about God should have been better at living like he knew God. But isn't it true that when we are consumed with ourselves, we tend to ignore the needs of others? We think about what we want, whether or not we're happy, if things are going our way. We think that the key to thriving is striving to get what we want. And that can easily become our motive for almost everything we do. Maybe your motive for getting married wasn't to give your life to the other person, but to get what they had to offer. Maybe your motive for giving that gift at Christmas wasn't really an expression of love. It was more of a bribe, hoping that she'd quit bugging you about how you're spending your time. Maybe your motive for helping your neighbor with a project wasn't that you cared about your neighbor. It was because you knew you were going to have a really loud party the following weekend and you wanted him to owe you one. In fact, sometimes our motive for pursuing God isn't about God at all. We don't pursue God because he is great. We pursue God because maybe he can make me great. Getting what we want can be the motive behind almost everything we do. And when that is the case, it's questionable if we genuinely know the first thing about love. Now, if this is you, trust me, I get it. Because this has been me for much of my life. But if we don't know the first thing about love, what does that say? about our religion. Could it be that a religion that is selfish is also worthless? Could it be that the lack of love by those who claim to have faith in God uh, is what turns so many people away from God? Could it be that the lack of love is what makes our adult kids not want to continue in the faith after they leave home? Could it be that if we 
who claim to believe in God never act like him, that this is what makes religion complicated and confusing. Maybe we need to take a long, hard look at how we are thinking about religion. Because one of the things I've learned from looking at Jesus's life is that God's ways and th of thinking and acting always seem to turn our ways upside down. For example, Jesus said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. That's all upside down. That's so different than the common phrases we use like winners take all and if you're not first you're last but our American philosophy of competition to win at all costs doesn't seem to jive with what Jesus's first followers said about his religion James the half-brother of Jesus said suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? John, one of Jesus' closest friends, said, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In other words, a religion that doesn't love may not be real, and it sure isn't simple. So why were the ideas of Jesus' first followers about religion so different than our own? Well, I think it was because of what Jesus taught and how he lived and their proximity to him. In one of the more significant encounters that Jesus had with the religious people of his day, he was asked to summarize religion as it was taught in the Old Testament. The Old Testament was the Bible of Jesus' day. It was the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures that had been given prior to Jesus' coming. And Jesus didn't say, well, you guys know the Old Testament is a pretty complicated document and it has a lot of rules in it. I have to think about that and get back to you. No, without hesitation, when asked to make religion simple, he said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Done. This is the summary of religion according to Jesus. And the phrase that is highlighted is like it is very important. It translates a little Greek word that means to be like or similar to. It can even mean that something is equal to, it is as great as, it is as important as, it can even mean it is the same as. And that's how Jesus used it here. When Jesus said loving your neighbor as yourself was like loving God, he meant the way you love God is by loving your neighbor. 
That's why the apostle John could say that if you claim to love God but hate your brother, if you claim to love God but dominate your wife, if you claim to love God but ignore your kids, if you claim to love God but take more than you give, then you're not telling the truth. You're deceiving either yourself or someone else. When Jesus taught this, he made religion straightforward and simple. If you and I believe in Jesus, and if we claim to love him, then we have to prove it by loving people. And then Jesus added this. He said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, when Jesus used that phrase, the law and the prophets, he was using a phrase that Jewish teachers used to refer to the entire Old Testament from the beginning to the end. He was saying, to understand religion, all you have to know is this. You don't have to understand all the intricacies of theology. You don't have to understand all the history of Israel. All you need to know is the way you love God is by loving others. That is religion made simple. And here's what it means for you and me. Love means you love others the way God has loved you. Love means you do for others what God has done for you. Love means you give to others what God has given to you. If God has given you happiness, give happiness to others. If God has given you wisdom, give wisdom to others. If God has rescued you, rescue others. If God has made you wealthy, make others wealthy. If God has forgiven you, forgive others. If God has given you power and influence, use it for others. If God has shown you compassion, show compassion to others. If God has showered you with confidence, teach others to be confident. If God has put a smile on your face, make others smile. In other words, you be for others what God has been for you. Or simply, be God to others. That's what love is. And that is religion made simple. So how do we actually do this kind of simple religion? Well, you know, as I was preparing this talk, I was telling Linda uh, about how I have struggled to show love. And she reminded me that at least one time I got it right. We had been living on the Kenya-Tanzania border back in 1998 at the foot of Mount Oldonio Oroque. It was a wild area. Lions and hyenas roamed freely there. We lived off the grid. We didn't have electricity, and our water came from a spring off the mountain. And there were two young men who worked for us named Johanna and Simon. And these two young Kenyan men served us uh, as we lived there. 
They helped us understand the culture of the local people. They kept watch over our place whenever we were gone. They repaired things that broke. They kept our yard and dug our flower beds. They made life good for us. And to be honest, we would have had a pretty difficult time surviving there without them. Well, one day as we were uh, drinking tea on the front porch, a very British tradition at 10 a.m. every morning, I asked them, hey guys, what is your dream for your life? And they were kind of surprised to be asked that question, but they had an answer for it. Johanna had a little bit of land, and he said he hoped to build a burned brick house one day for his family so they wouldn't have to live in a mud hut. Simon said he dreamed of starting his own taxi business because out there in the bush where we lived, there wasn't much transportation in that area. And so right there at tea time, we started drawing house plans for Johanna's future home. And over the next six months, Linda and I paid for Johanna's new house. And we also bought Simon a car uh, for his new taxi business. You see, we secured their future because they had secured ours. We gave back to them what God had given us through them. You know, I've preached a lot of sermons, and I've taught a lot of classes, and I've counseled a lot of people, but I'm not sure that my religion was real until I gave back to these men what God had given me through them. By the way, just a sidebar, several years later, I was working in southern Sudan, and I needed a manager for one of the projects that we were doing together with Samaritan's Purse. So I went and got Simon, who had tremendous administrative and pastoral skills to manage the project. And even after we left Africa in 2007, Simon continued to work for Samaritan's Purse. Now, you may not know it, but the president of Samaritan's Purse is Franklin Graham, the son of the famous evangelist, Dr. Billy Graham, who has been the personal spiritual advisor to 11 presidents since World War II, beginning with Harry S. Truman. Several years ago, Simon was introduced to Dr. Graham and had a private meeting with him in the bedroom of his own home. Simon, the young dude that dug my flower beds, has freaking met Billy Graham. And on that same trip, the president of, North, of the North Carolina franchise of the Coca-Cola Bottling Company invited Simon to address the executives and employees of his company because Simon had played a major role in saving his son's life. Today, Simon leads a ministry that shares the gospel in that remote part of Africa where we used to live. Simon's impact has reached far and wide, and I wonder what small part of that started with a taxi cab. Imagine the lasting impact of practicing simple religion. 
Imagine if we all expressed our faith through love. Do you know what would happen in this city if thousands of us got up every day and in our routine looked for opportunities to give our lives away? Do you realize what would happen in your marriage if both partners put their spouse's needs ahead of their own? Do you understand how this kind of faith and love would, it, would change your relationships and how it would impact your friends? You remember that video that we saw last week of how Tabitha gave a kidney to Josie? Y'all, that's what we're talking about. Her love changed Josie's life. Do you know how it would soften the heart of someone who is against you if you expressed your faith to them through love? Faith expressing itself through love is religion made simple. It's real religion. It's powerful religion. It's life-changing religion. And it's actually fun religion. And if we do our religion this way, it will eliminate the clutter and confusion surrounding our search for God. And it will reinvigorate our confidence in God. So when you find your life confusing, and you're not sure what to believe or how to behave, do this. Express your faith through love. Give to others what God has given to you. And so, Father, this is our prayer for ourselves. That you would clarify the core of our religion. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember that when we're not quite sure what to believe or how to act or what to do, when we go through moments in our lives that are confusing, I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who would express our faith through love and that by doing so, you would use it to have a lasting far and wide impact in the lives of other people because, Lord, we believe that that is what religion is supposed to do. And so we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to thank you guys for being here with us in the two weeks of this series. Our prayer team is here. If we can pray with you about something going on in your life, please let us do that. Also, let me remind you to be faithful in your giving because when we give, people's lives really are changed. And we've seen that here at City Church. Next week, Clayton is going to be with us to continue this series. So thank you so much for being here. And we'll see you next week.